0: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Scoop of Soup podcast. I'm your host, Campbell Soup. Man, guys, I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you guys are enjoying your week. Um, for those in Texas, man, the state has reopened. It is here. We can finally go um, and enjoy um, some of the um, pleasures of life that we that we used to. And so I hope that you guys are doing well. hope that you guys are having a chance to enjoy that. I know that for me, I know in last week's podcast episode, we I t- briefly talked about um, how I was completely um, planning on, oh yeah, like I've got all these sort of plans of what I'm going to do once things reopen. But it was last Thursday night, the day after I released my podcast, that you know they were um, that Catherine Hamilton, a friend of mine here in Albany, was asking me. She's like, hey, like, what are your plans? Like, what are you going to be doing? Like, like you know, the state's opening up tomorrow. Like, where are you going to go eat? And I'm like, we're like, what are you going to do tomorrow? That's the way she originally intended it. So she's like, yeah, like, so what are you going to do tomorrow? And I was just like, well. You know, we're thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, there's not a whole lot to do. So I was like, probably wake up, wash some Grey's Anatomy, have a bowl of cereal, go to bed and repeat for Saturday before uh, church on Sunday. And she goes, no, 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 no. She's like, the state's reopening tomorrow. She's like, is there anywhere you're planning on going to eat? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I completely forgot that the state was reopening tomorrow. And so, um, so yeah, like I, um, so I completely forgot about it, but needless to say, I was like, you know what, I'll make the decision whenever it comes to it, because again, I go to mcdonald's because my two f- places that i go most frequently are whataburger and mcdonald's i go to mcdonald's a because it's close in breckenridge um because i can get a lot of food for cheap there but also b um i go but i go to whataburger because that's my favorite place to go to but i also get weird cravings from time to time with with food and what i'm craving um and so i woke up on friday morning It was the most random thing i say morning it was like eleven thirty. 30 um But I woke up Friday morning and I was just craving Panda Express. Oh my goodness gracious! Like I was just craving Panda for that orange chicken and for this that chow mein. Oh my goodness gracious! I was craving it. And so what did I do? I went and I drove um, to Abilene and got myself some, um, got myself some Panda Express. And oh man, it was so good being able to walk in and order your food and sit down like. Bro, <laughs> let me tell you, I oh, I felt like a million bucks. And I walked in and there was just one seat. It was just calling my name. And I'm like, oh, God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. Um and so yeah, but man, um before we really get rocking and rolling, I just want to share with you guys something that the Lord's kind of just been um showing me this this last week and kind of my quiet time and um and just through um just being able to speak through people. Um and I just want to share that with you guys. Um Again, like I am, I am in this journey with you guys, and I feel like that once I became a Christian, that I be, that I became a better sinner than what I did before I was. Um, but the one difference is, is I know where my foundation is, and I know what I'm building my life upon now, and I know that I've got a Father in heaven who loves me very, very much, and that's forgiven me of that sin. Um, and so, but um, but today, I just want to share with you guys kind of something I'm working through, just as the believer to believer. This isn't like pastor or podcast host to. His listeners are, all right, so the minions now, this is just believer to believer. And so um, this last week and okay, the last couple of weeks, I don't know if anyone else just feels like this in the midst of this quarantine, but I have had so much stress and so much anxiety in the last three and a half to four weeks for whatever reason. I have just been beyond stressed out, right? There's like stressed out and then there's like beyond stressed out. And that is like what I've been at. And really it was about a week and a half, two weeks ago, that I was up for over 50 straight hours, getting close to 60 um, of no sleep, that I just was not able to turn my brain off. I was not able to go to sleep um, just because of how much I was stressing because the amount of stress um, that I had um everything going on um and it, again, it was like the most random things I was stressing about family back home in Odessa, with the coronavirus and with the oil field being in the tank, I was stressing about gradu- I was stressing about graduation and registering for classes and putting in my application to graduate. I was stressed about work and what does summer plans look like, what does camp look like, what does youth look like what is you know what does my own job security look like in in a, in the midst of everyone is um, losing work and taking pay cuts and having hours cut you know i was working from home i'm like man what does my what does the future of my job look like and stressing about all these different things and you know how it is whenever you just read something you're like man god god just knew i needed to hear that today he knew i needed to read that i was going through one of my my bible reading um, plans one of the one of the bible studies i'm doing and the verse um, that they had us go through was philippians chapter 4 verse 6 And the guy um, used used this chapter um, to talk about um, what to do, uh, about stress and anxiety, but also what our prayer life is supposed to look like through it. And so Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, I'm sure many of you guys have this memorized, is don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. And... That was a verse I've heard several, several times, but what I, I'll talk about this here in a minute, but the very end really, really stuck out to me. And what he talked about um, in, this, in this chapter of this book was, you know, whenever we hit these times of anxiety and stress, that is like an indication. It's like the fire alarm going off. It is time to get our hands and knees, and it is time to go to the Lord in prayer, right? Um, it is time. Drop everything you're doing and go to the Lord in prayer. It's not a, I'm going to do it later. It's not a, I'm going to do it tonight. It's not a, um, I'll do it next week. No, that this is like the most serious thing in your life right now that you go to the Lord immediately because whenever we don't deal with that anxiety and stress at the very beginning and we don't give that to the Lord immediately, we begin to dwell on it. and. Whenever we become stressful, when we become full of anxiety and say, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? This is going on. This is going on. This is what's going on. It becomes so me-focused and completely disregarding our almighty creator and and the good shepherd and our father in heaven, the one who wants to be there for it all in reality. It's kind of us unofficially telling him, hey God, I don't need your mighty power that parted the red seas that created the world in seven days and that rose Jesus from the dead. I'm going to try to handle this on my own, and I'm going to do it with clenched fists. When in reality, whenever we go um, to the Lord in prayer, when we give it to Him, we don't worry about anything. Instead, we pray about everything. We give it to Him. We are coming to Him with open hands, and we are just giving in to Him, and we're laying at His feet. But the second part that he talked about was, was how our prayer life needs to look different in the times of stress and anxiety. Um, because oftentimes our prayer life can look very, very me-focused. I need this. You know, Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to make my rent check. I need more money. Um, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this with my wife. You know, please, um, like, please help the situation. And it becomes very, very asking for things and very me-focused very, very quickly. When in reality, prayer is so much about centering ourselves back on the Lord. You know, our our you know our lives are out of whack, but we're getting back in line with him but our prayer lives need to take a different approach he said and be more of a prayer of thanksgiving you know we all know the first part of the verse don't worry about anything said, pray about everything and tell god what you need man we know about that man ask what you need for anything you need do it asking you shall receive seeking you shall find knocking the door shall be open to you we all know those verses but we miss the part that when paul is saying um, in this verse that when it's talking about thank him for all that he has done And really the last about week and a half, two weeks, I've really challenged myself for my own prayer life to not be a prayer of asking for things and asking for things to be filled. Rather, it be a prayer of thanksgiving for it to be a prayer of thanking the Lord that he has done, even in asking for forgiveness, thanking God for what he has done. Man, God, thank you that I did not go back to that one really bad sin that I did that one time. Man, Father, thank you so much that I did not slip back into this. Father, forgive me, but man, thank you so much I haven't gone back here. You know, even in the midst of stress, and anxiety, man, God, thank you for everything that you've done for me and that you've provided for me. Yes, Lord, this is going on, but man, thank you for being such a, such a good Father. And whenever I've begun taking this approach to my prayer life, I can't describe it, but it has begun to take on like a whole other life of its own that I was not expecting. Of. Now I look forward to prayer. I'm not a natural prayer. I've got to force myself to sit down and pray. I'm a natural reader. I would rather sit there and read for hours. I'm just not a natural prayer. But for the first time in my life, I really look forward to prayer. Whenever it's not just a, I'm coming and asking God for things. But I am investing in the relationship and I'm thanking Him. And my prayers are more of a, instead of a needy and this is what I need, they're a prayer of thanksgiving in every season and everything that I'm going through. And I can't tell you What it's done to my life but also my prayer life instead of me having such a negative outlook on life and i've got all these things that i need having that time of thanksgiving of prayer really makes you appreciate a what you have and what god's blessed you with but it makes you see that not everything's that bad that's what you may make it seem like but also just that time with the lord is just so much more sweet whenever we're thanking him And so, yes, go to the Lord with everything that you need. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. But don't forget to thank God for what he has done. Make every prayer a prayer of thanksgiving. And I promise you, you will see a change in your prayer life that you have probably never experienced before. Um, If you just don't feel like your prayer life is there, that it's just dying, and that it's just not good, try changing up a little bit. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If you're praying the exact same way, but you're expecting something different to come from it, and your prayer life never changes, then why would you be expecting change? Change it up. God hears you; He answers every prayer. But change your approach to it, change your heart in it, and I promise you, you'll see change. Well, let's go and let's jump in, and let's ask the Lord to bless our let's ask the Lord to bless our time together, and we will get rocking and we'll get rolling. Man, dear, dear grace Heavenly Father God. Man, I just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for all your many blessings. Lord, I just thank you um, for just this time to be able to gather, Lord. I thank you for being able to open up your word. Father, I thank you for your your son that died for our sins. Father, I thank you for the clothes on my back and the clothes on my brothers and sisters back. Father, I thank you for everything that you blessed us with. Father God, I pray that as we open up your word, Father, I pray that this message, your message, reigns supreme in all of our lives, that it changes us from the inside out. And Father, I pray that you just allow the Holy Spirit, I invite the Holy Spirit into every single place this podcast is played, and that it changes lives, Father, that it moves, it convicts, as it needs to, Father. In the Lord's most gracious heavenly name that we pray, amen and amen. So today, okay, we are actually jumping back into our Love Is series, and so if you've been with us the past couple weeks, we have been um, diving into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, and every title is probably different, all the different Bibles. But again, this chapter for me is known as the love chapter, right? Um, it's, the, it's what I've known it as for years. But um, Paul, in writing his church to Corinth, okay, he basically writes a letter. And in this chapter, he talks about what love is and what love isn't. He is laying out a grid gridwork um, for it of what should be apparent in our lives. And so over the course of the past couple of weeks, we've actually been diving into all of these different aspects, all of these different things um, that it talks about in verses 4 through 7. And so um, let's just kind of jump back in. And let's let's see where we've been at. And so love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about... And justice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up and never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And so, again, if I were to give a quick recap of everything that we've covered, um, we would probably be here, um, forty five minutes just with recap. And so, if you want to go ahead and catch any of the lessons that you've missed in the series. Um, hope that this series has been good to you. I know that's been good to me, and, and the word, word, and the Lord working on my heart. Um, and so, if you want to catch back up on any of those lessons, man, the pot—that's what the podcast is for. The episodes are there. You guys can go and listen to it anytime you want. Um, and so, but let's go ahead and let's jump into what we're talking about today. And love keeps no record of being wronged; however, love forgives. Okay. And so today's message, okay, it's about forgiveness, right? And this is a big one, okay. And so if you have your Bibles, go and take them out. The main. Um, passage I'm going to be reading from today, okay, is Matthew chapter 18. I mean, there'll be some other verses throughout, but the main chapter that I want you guys to be at, to work through and to highlight is Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 21 through 25. And we're going to be jumping into the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Um, and this is personally one of my favorite parables. Um, if you if I had to put a ranking of parables, um, the unforgiving debtor is definitely in that top five. It's probably top three. Um, And I love it because it's absolutely incredible. And so if you're kind of new to the Bible, new to reading, um, and you're like, man, what the heck is a parable? Um, A parable is a story, okay? Um, And this is actually one of Jesus' preferred um, teaching methods, okay, was... Um, was storytelling, okay, um, and again, like, Jesus was a magnificent teacher, oh, man, he was a magnificent teacher, he was absolutely incredible, all right, his teachings were so wise, I mean, it's from God himself, I mean, literally, he is God that's put on flesh and bone, his teachings were immaculate, they were flawless, right, and so, um, but he would teach, um, but he would use parables to give little snapshots of heaven, to give snapshots of the love of God and the goodness of God, in um, different aspects of how we're supposed to be living our lives because if he were to just to try to describe it in straight words we would probably never be able to understand and I want you to think about it like this whenever you were growing up in school and the teacher would give a give a straight lecture sometimes you would get it sometimes you wouldn't it would just kind of have to click for you but whenever they would give an illustration of like hey this is what it's like for a lot of us I know that for me personally it would hit home it would make sense I'm like oh that makes sense okay so keep in mind the people that Jesus is talking to right it's A lot of his disciples, they're fishermen, okay? They're not exactly like, they're fishermen, tax tax collectors and doctors. There's some educated guys, but um, a lot of them aren't, okay? He's talking to just normal everyday people. A lot of them probably don't have any sort of education. And so he uses these parables to try and get across his point and get the point across in the story of what he means. He can talk about forgiveness, right? But it would probably make better in the sense of a story that people would finally be able to get it. And so that's where we find ourselves Um, In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Um, And so let's go and let's dive in, and let's see what God has for us um, in the story. And so Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, okay? Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone, right? And so forgiveness, this is a constant theme in the Bible, right? Um, it's, it's a, it is a huge thing in our relationship with God because again, Christ has forgiven us of our sins, okay? Um, this word forgiveness, okay, and the aspect of forgiveness and the concept of forgiveness comes up over and over and over in the Bible. Even Peter, okay, the rock that the church was built on is asking God, how often should I forgive someone? And so um, Lord, how often should I, should I forgive someone who sins against me seven times? And Jesus replied, No, not seven times, but seventy times seven. And so you can sure that at that point, as soon as he said that, everyone's sitting there trying to count in their mind. They're like, Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a lot of math. Like, how do I do that? Like, what does that look like? But then Jesus dives into the story, okay, to further explain the point of talking about how forgiveness is should be an aspect and should be a um, it should be a very um, adamant theme in our lives right love does not keep a record of being wronged and holding on to grudges and bitterness and unforgiveness rather love forgives and love moves on and that's what this um, parable is talking about that of the importance of that and so um, therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accountants up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him in the process one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars notice about how this guy Owes him millions of dollars, a, a a large sum of money. Okay, that's what a debt is. Okay, a debt is when was whenever you owe someone money. If I'm gonna buy a house, I go and I get a home. I get I get a home or a house loan, and I owe the bank money. All right, and so I owe a debt to the bank. Okay, so this guy, okay, he owes a debt to the king, millions and millions of dollars. So, um, so he couldn't. So he. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay for it. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. He just didn't give him an extension on his loan, right? He just didn't give him like more time to pay it off. He said, No, I'm going to completely forgive you. Those millions of dollars that you owe, I've completely paid for it. Like, I've, I'm taking care, care of it. Don't you worry at all whatsoever, okay? Notice that and put that in the back of your brain because we're going to kind of cycle through. And you're going to see this. Hopefully, this gives you a glimpse of how the kingdom of God is, okay? All right, and so, so the master, filled with pity for him, he released him and forgave his debt entirely, okay? Um, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment, okay? All right, notice, okay, there's a guy, after he had just been forgiven a of dollars worth of debt, there's a guy who owes him thousands of dollars, a much smaller amount of money. Very, very small in the grand scheme of things, okay, of what just happened. And, okay, he still owes him. There's still some things that need to be taken care of there, but he's like, hey, like you owe me this, right? And so his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. Sound familiar with what this other guy just did, okay? Um, and so, but his creditor wouldn't wait. The guy could not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very, very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who had forgiven, um, that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you, um, the tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Just I had mercy on you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Okay, so what is what is this story talking about? How on earth, in the, in this parable, you're like, okay, hold on, Campbell, you're talking about how love does not keep a record of being wronged. Okay, so okay, so love forgives. To love like Christ means that I am going to forgive. Okay, I get that. But what on earth does this story about millions of dollars, about a guy being forgi- about a guy, about a, a king paying that back and not having to worry about it, and then another, then another guy that owes him money. Him demanding it and then him getting thrown in jail. What on earth does that have to do with the, with the kingdom of heaven? And what on earth does that have to do with forgiveness? And how i am supposed to live my daily life? If I'm supposed to li- live like Christ, and that means to love like Christ with this radical love, then what on earth does the story have to do with that? And I want to encourage you, it has everything to do with it. Oh my goodness, it has everything to do with it. Okay? And so, think, so again, the kingdom of heaven is like this. All right? Here's the thing. For the wages of sin is death. Okay, that's in Romans, all right? For the wages of sin is death, okay? What me and you owe, we have a debt, okay, that we owe. Because we are humans, because we have sinned, because we have messed up, because we are sinful creatures, okay, what we owe is death, okay? The debt that we owe for our lives is death, okay? And that debt, we owe it to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's God our Father, okay? All right, again, that's death. We owe a very, very hefty Price tag for our lives because we have lived the way that we have lived our lives. Okay, we owe a hefty, hefty price tag. Okay, for the wages of sin is death. What we have earned is death. But the free gift of God is everlasting life. Okay, because God put on flesh and bone, sent His Son into the world to die on a cross. Okay, that blood that was shed on the cross that is completely taken care of the sin. That debt that you owe for your sin is completely taken care of if you accept that free gift of God. And so, whenever we become Christians and whenever we become Christ followers, we we, we come into the presence of God and we say, God, like I invite you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I recognize that I cannot do this on my own, and I recognize that I need a Savior. God, forgive me of my sins. We are begging God. God, forgive me of my sins. And come and sit on the throne of my heart. So we are begging to God. God, please, I cannot bear the thought of spending eternity without you. I cannot bear the thought of living without you. We are begging for God for that debt to be taken care of. We want to accept that free gift. And so it's just exactly like that servant in the story that begged the king for more time. So what does the king do? He doesn't just give him an extension. He doesn't say do all these sort of things. No, he says, don't worry about the debt it is taken care of. It's don't have to worry about it. Millions of dollars, okay? Very, very big on the grand scheme of things. Death. We're talking about the difference between heaven, spending um, eternally with God our Father, or spending um, eternity in hell. A very, very big thing on the grand scheme of things. It's very, very big. This is huge, okay? But our Father has forgiven us of that. He says, I don't care what you have done. I don't care how bad you've messed up. I don't care that this is the debt that you owe. I love you. I take pity on you, and I'm going to show mercy on you, and I'm going to forgive you of this. And because of the blood of Jesus, that's taken care of. Okay, so that's the first part. But then, right, what do we do? Love does not keep a record of being wrong. Well, this guy knew that he he had a record, right, of the guy that owed him money. So what does he do? He goes and he demands the money back. He had just been forgiven of millions of dollars, but there's a guy who owes him a couple thousand a couple thousand dollars. Very, very small on the grand scheme of things. There's a lot of zeros that are different in this. And he doesn't show him the same forgiveness. No, he throws the guy in jail. So the king becomes very angry by this. He's like, I showed you forgiveness. I showed you kindness. I showed you mercy. So why didn't you show that to someone else? And the point that Jesus is trying to make from this story, okay, The point that he's trying to make is: we forgive because Christ has forgiven us. We forgive because Christ has forgiven us. We owed millions of dollars. We had a huge debt that we owed with our life. For the wages of sin is death. What we owe is death at the very end of our lives. Okay, whenever the debtor comes to collect, what we owe is death. But because us as Christ followers, because we have accepted that free gift of everlasting life, because we have invited Jesus to be to live in our hearts. Okay. We have been forgiven of that. The blood of Jesus has covered that. It has paid for that. And so because of what Christ has done, we are called to show that same forgiveness to others. Love does not keep a record of being wronged. Love forgives. Because what Christ has done for me on the cross, because Christ has forgiven me of my sins, I am called to forgive others of their sins and of their debts. That's what the story is talking about. It's talking about forgiveness. Okay? Okay? Whenever we become Christ followers, okay, we are asking God to forgive us of our sins. Okay, we are, and at that moment, okay, we are called to live like Christ. And that is at the forefront, And we're called to live a life of love. And in that life of love, there needs to be such a huge theme of forgiveness. But this idea and statement, yeah, man, because forgive because Christ has forgiven me. It's a lot easier said than done, Right? Like, I can sit there and I can preach that message until, until the cows come home saying, yes, because of what Christ has done for you on the cross, yes, absolutely you are called to forgiven. Yes, that is absolutely true. But here's the thing, that's a lot easier said than done, right? Yes, I, I absolutely understand what Christ has done for me on the cross. And yes, I, I have been wrong, but man, it, it's so hard to forgive those people. that This whole idea of forgiving because Christ has forgiven me is a lot easier said than done. And that's one reason why Paul addresses this idea of forgiveness. He says, look, to live a life of love is to not keep a record of being wronged. See, the reality is for a lot of us as Christ followers, even though Christ has forgiven us, that instead of forgiving and moving on, that we keep a record of being wronged. I talked to a lot of people, I'm like, hey, how's your relationship with so and so? They're like, oh, it's good, but somehow we always get brought back to how they were hurt in the past. Hey, how's your how are your parents doing? Oh, it's good, but you know, this and such happened in the past. That every single time something happens that we begin to write down, right, all this unforgiveness. And whenever you begin to harbor unforgiveness, you begin to write on the stone of your heart all of this unforgiveness and a root of bitterness becomes, begins to arise in your heart. And there's this unforgiveness that is just eating away at your soul. And I get it. It's a lot easier said than done. But whenever we allow it to go unchecked, okay, we keep a record of being wrong rather than living a life of forgiveness, Christ has forgiven us, and we're called to forgive in that exact same way. Forgive because Christ has forgiven you. But I get it. Oh, it's so hard. And again, that's something that the Lord has been dealing with me in the last couple of weeks. Forgiving those who have who have wronged me. And here's the thing. Whenever it comes to this idea of forgiveness, I'm sure that you probably remember as a kid... Little, little quick story. I won't forget growing up. Okay, I grew up with four siblings, and whenever one of us would do something to them, we were told we'd get sent to our rooms, we'd get a spanking or a swat, or um, have something taken away from us, get some sort of punishment. But we were told, um, "Hey, you have to go and apologize. You have to go and ask for forgiveness." Right? And there were times, okay, that yes, I hit my siblings, or yes, I did something bad, and for me going and asking for forgiveness from them, it was easier for them to forgive me there in that moment. But what about? But what happens? When someone hurts us so badly, they don't even realize what they've done. What happens when, like they don't even realize what they've done, but what happens when they don't come and ask for forgiveness? What happens when they continue going on their lives and they act like nothing happened? What happens when dad beat you as a child? Dad was an alcoholic, that he beat you as a kid. He was abusive. Left you with bruises and scars, but he never once apologized for you never once saw the wrong of his ways. What happens when mom or dad walks out of your life? What happens when husband, wife walks out? What happens when someone very, very close to you is hurt very, very badly, right? And that those people that hurt that person very badly, they don't see what they've done is wrong. There is no forgiveness. They did not ask to be forgiven. What do we do at that point? And that's when it gets a lot more difficult, for this idea of forgiveness. See, it's easy to forgive whenever the person's right there and the ball is in our court to say, yes, you know, you're forgiven. You have closure right there in that moment. But a lot of us, the reason why we, the reason why we have a list, um, list of faults and the reason why um, we keep a record of being wronged is because we haven't gotten any closure. Because nothing did come from the situations. We keep a list and a record of being wrong because there is no closure. There is no moving on to the next chapter. It is written on the on the stone of a heart and it's just there. It's very, very apparent. And so whenever we begin to talk about this thing, about, man, it's forgiving those who least deserve it. It's forgiving our enemies. And again, whenever I say this word enemies, the, the thought and the idea that comes up so oftentimes is the bully on the playground. The kid that punched you in class. And yes, while that's true, it's so much more than that. An enemy is, an, is someone that is an adversary there in that moment. An enemy is someone that is acting as an adversary there in that moment. It could be your parents, it could be your best friend, it could be your siblings. But whenever we begin to talk about forgiving the way that Christ intended for us to live and, forg- and it's forgiving those who least deserve it. we. Us as humans, we do not deserve to be forgiven. We continue to mess up. We continue to sin, but God still sees fit to call us His own and to call us His children and forgive us. So we are the least deserving. So we should do the same to forgive the least deserving. And the only way we can do that is to begin to see people how God sees them by letting the Holy Spirit transform our lives. It talks about in Matthew chapter five. You know that you know the law says to love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But Jesus, but Jesus says, I say to love your enemy as yourself matthew chapter five he talks about that this love this love for enemy we love because christ first loved us right we talk about this all the time this idea of enemy love you know i, I love the i love the movie national treasure and nicholas cage is probably one of his greatest works but um, in that movie, if you remember, whenever he's stealing the Declaration of Independence, he's got these, um, he's got these special bifocals right? of how to read the back of the Declaration of Independence to read the map to get to the, um, the hidden treasure. and whenever he, But it's not until he puts on those bifocals that his idea and his perception of reality and what he's supposed to do completely changes. It's not until we put on the bifocals of Christ and we begin to see people as Christ sees them. That we're able to live like Christ and to, for, and to forgive us Christ. It goes hand in hand. You're not, able to, you're not able to forgive those who least deserve it until you love them. Because, I mean, how are you supposed to forgive the person that murdered that might murder your parents? How are you supposed to forgive the person that put your parent or sibling a sister in a wheelchair because they're paralyzed? The only way that you're able to do that is to see people as Christ sees them is to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you and to see them as God sees them. That's what it is. Love keeps no record of being wrong. Love forgives. We are called to forgive because of what Christ did for us on the cross. But there are some people who are so not deserving of that. And I get it. It's a natural human instinct to be angry, to be upset. Okay? All of our emotions love joy even anger all those things have been given to us by god we have and you know what i get it, that there can be some unforgiveness and some ill will towards some people it's a natural human reaction but that's not how we're called to live we're not called to live like the rest of the world We're called to live like christ and Christ, even with his, one of his last breaths before he died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The people that he gave his everything for was giving his all for there on the cross, spat in his face, yelled at him, laughed at him, and he still said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He wasn't able to do that unless he was God. To see them and so, through such a special lens, and I want to encourage you to put on the same lens and to love your enemy, because until you love your enemy, you're not gonna be able to forgive your enemy, that person that's acting as an adversary. So yes, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Don't keep a record of being wronged. But if you do have a record of being wronged, it's probably because you haven't gotten a closure from from any situation. Whatever that situation is, that person might not ever come and ask you for forgiveness, but you can still forgive them. Love just doesn't forgive when another person repents. It doesn't. No. Love always forgives. It endures. And it forbears. It's one of the things we're going to be talking about in one of our later sermons. Love endures through every circumstance. No matter what the circumstance is, but you are not able to forgive, love endures through every circumstance. So I want to encourage you to do the same man guys I hope that you enjoyed the podcast today I love you guys I'm praying for you guys every single day um man um love you guys I am and we'll see you back here next week